You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. This morning we continue and wrap up our Advent sermon series that we've been calling Do You Hear What I Hear? where we have been looking at each of the Gospels to see what they have to say about the Christmas story. So let us hear now from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Listen for the Word of God. In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered, and Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and the family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now in that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord, possibly named Harold, we don't know, (laughs) stood before them. And it was there before them that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Now this will be a sign for you that you will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with Herod the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those who he favors. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, God of glory, may your spirit rest here in this place, that our eyes, our hearts, and our ears might be open to the new things you call us to. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts gathered be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Friends, there is something powerful in discovering your style. Style is an important thing. The college football playoff committee would say that style points matter, even though I don't know what those are. And as a Florida State fan, I don't want to get too deep into this. But (laughs) style is powerful. Your style is that flair. It's that sometimes subtle thing that makes something unmistakably yours. 
It's the brush stroke of a painting, a chord progression of a musician, or a rhyme and meter that causes others to say, now that could only have been done by so-and-so. Style is Bob Ross's attention to details in the trees that are far off in the distance. It's Maynard Ferguson's controlled force through a trumpet, and it's Jimmy Buffett's ability to make you feel like it is indeed five o'clock somewhere. Your style is uniquely yours. In your style, it says something about who you are, what shaped you, where you've been, and where you want to go. Our individual styles, whether in art, fashion, speaking, or even writing, well, ultimately, our style tells a story. And as we've just spent as a church the entirety of fall diving into, we know that stories, whether the biblical ones or the stories of our lives here at First Presbyterian Church, Spartanburg, those stories tell us something about God. Now, recently, I went for the first time to the Artist Collective here in Spartanburg. And if you haven't heard of this or been to this creative compound, it's located over on West Main Street, just past the QT. Now, the building was originally the West Main Baptist Church. And in 2009, the property was purchased and transformed into a 20,000 square foot space for artists to express themselves and tell their stories. As I walked through the building, meandering from room to room with my wife, Eliza, I was blown away at the variety and the beauty of these works. I wanna side note this too, because they had this awesome holiday market of artists who were just kind of pop up and they did a drawing and I actually won the gift card. So I'm gonna start plugging things in my sermons more because that happened this week. <laughs> now going into a gallery of an individual artist and studying the different pieces, it was like, it was like having a conversation with the artists themselves, even though they weren't there, most of them. And in art, you'll be opened to what inspires each person, to what motivates their creativity, whether it's pottery, pencils, pastels, or oils. The unique style of each artist, it radiated within each studio, even in the ways that they designed their rooms. It's as if each room welcomed you into a new world that was crafted intentionally by the artist, as if to share something about their life, about who they are. And after a while, I found myself identifying art in the various places around the building, saying, ah, yes, that's Jordan, or, I can tell that that one there was done by Julia or Jim, or there's no doubt in my mind, Peter made this. Now with many of the pieces, as with most art, I feel that there was something that would first pull me in, whether it be the colors, or an interesting subject, or maybe the medium itself. But inevitably, that which grabbed my attention fell into the background as I kept looking at the art, and it pointed to something deeper 
and deeper within the work. A painting of two smiling pigs hanging out on a white fence laughing with one another. Well, as I looked at it, I realized this says something more about friendship and the joy being in the presence of others than it does funny livestock. The deep blues and gold frame of a nativity scene, which now sits in our living room, well, it drew me deeper and deeper into a reflection on the gentle peace of Christmas, of the manger scene that Luke describes. Friends, art is powerful. And the way in which an artist tells their story in their own unique style is a gift to all who encounter it. Now this morning's text from Luke, it's certainly familiar. Well, I'm assuming it's familiar. We read it in both services last week for Lessons and Carols, so there's two. We read it this morning, there's three. It'll be read again this afternoon in our family Christmas Eve service where, as Craig said, children will come dressed as shepherds and sheep and angels. And we'll hear it once again during our Christmas Eve candlelight services tonight, followed by the hymn of angels we have heard on high. Now, arguably by this point, um, at least, I should have these verses from Luke 2 memorized, but maybe most of us should, having heard it that many times. But I wonder, what do you hear in the familiar? I wonder, what is it that Luke is telling us in this familiar story? Now on that night, as on most nights, it's more than likely that those shepherds were not just sitting there twiddling their thumbs and catching a little shut-eye because the moon was up. The text tells us in verse 8, they were on guard. Now why? Why would shepherds be on guard at night? Well, nighttime, right? It brings the greatest potential of threat to their flock. And it is their job to protect their flock. So surely these shepherds were on high alert to protect the sheep from any dangers that might be lurking there in the darkness. They watched with a careful gaze for wolves and for thieves. And shepherding, this isn't some high-profile luxury gig. It's dirty. It's exhausting. But it is honest work. It's a work that requires an attentiveness and a care for the detail of things. But here it's an ordinary night in the fields. That is until the extraordinary happens. And these shepherds' terror upon the angel of the Lord standing before them wasn't out of a lack of alertness but because out of everything that they were on guard for, that they were expecting to potentially encounter on that night, there's no doubt in my mind, an angel of the Lord, that was not on their list. 
And so they're startled and they're shocked. Their draws are dropped to the ground. Some might have jumped behind rocks. Some probably just froze. And as they stood there awestruck and terrified, it was the Lord's glory that shone all around them, unmistakably surrounded by the glory of God. This extraordinary encounter, what well, had God's fingerprints all over it. And because of these fingerprints which they can see, well, the angel has no need to identify itself. God's glory, glory. Present in this text, present also in the psalm as Joanne read, glory. Now when a word from scripture jumps out at me and I can't let it go of it, I tend to turn to Frederick Beekner, as any one of our pastors will tell you. One of my favorite authors and theologians, it's the pondering prayerfully on the back of your bulletins. And so I turn to him and I see what he has to say. And in his book, Wishful Thinking, also titled A Theological ABCs, Beekner says of the concept of glory, glory is to God what style is to an artist. The style of an artist brings you as close to the sound of his voice and the light in his eye as it is possible to get this side of actually shaking hands with him. And Beekner continues, glory is the outward manifestation of the hand in its handiwork, just as holiness is the inward. To behold God's glory, to sense his style, is the closest you can get to him this side of paradise. For glory is what God looks like. And for the time being, all you have to look at him with is a pair of eyes. Experiencing the glory of God, well, I think it's like looking at a painting at the Artist Collective here in Spartanburg. Because there's something in the style of the art that we're looking at around us that makes it unmistakably God's handiwork. Look, the angel, the heavenly host that bursts out into song, well, they're the attention grabbers, and they do a good job of it. Yet with God, we're shown again and again that the sign is not found in what grabs our attention. The sign of God, it's rarely shiny and beautiful. It's rarely extraordinary. God's sign is found in the place where the angels draw us in and then point us to. Because the angels aren't the message, but the messengers. The Reverend Dr. Fred Craddock comments on this scene, the sign was as common as the shepherds themselves. Notice Luke's reversal, that here earth is not looking to heaven for a sign, but now heaven looks to earth. The extraordinary points to the ordinary and says, see, God is among you. Luke uses this Christmas story, 
this telling of the shepherds at the beginning of his accounts of the life of Jesus to foreshadow how Christ has come to point us to what's right under our noses. Now, when will we stop waiting for God to show up in some magnificent, extraordinary way? When will we begin to let God's glory be discovered in that which is already here? Like being in the gallery of a single artist, can we look around here and now in the ordinary places of life and say to ourselves and one another, this here is unmistakably the work of God among us. Can we say that this here is God's glory? And in that discovery, in that revelation of God's signs of peace and hope and joy and love, in the lowest places of life, may we then be like the shepherds, to be sent out in jubilee to share this wondrous news of not God coming, but God here and now. In appreciation and thanksgiving for God's glory, God's style, we're now sent forth to draw others into to the community of grace and the church of love. The opportunity to be together on this morning in this season, as I know many of us will gather with others tonight. That opportunity to know we are not alone, whether we are filled with joy or sadness, with hope or with doubt, with love or with brokenness. Or you know, a combination of it all mixed together. Well, that opportunity is the gift of this season because we know that God is here among us. We know that this, what we're doing, what we're surrounded by, this is God's glory. God's fingerprints are all over this place. We've seen it all season. God's fingerprints are here from the many of you who have worked tirelessly to make this sanctuary, the chapel, this building so beautiful with wreaths, working all day yesterday to make sure that the ribbons are now white. That's God's glory. God's fingerprints are all over the tireless work of Andy Mayfield and his continual efforts to make our grounds look luscious and pure. It's found in the love of those who make delicious baked goods for others. And our angel tree gifts have filled rooms here in this place. And the reverse advent calendar boxes which filled the tower room. In all of this, in all of this, friends, it's unmistakably the work of God. Glory be to God.
God's glory is shining all among us right now, right here, in this very place. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the source of life, the word of life, and the very gift of life. Amen.